0: Hello, Beat Check listeners. I'm Shane Dixon-Kavanaugh, Portland City Hall reporter for the Oregonian Oregon Live and your host this week. In 2019, Portland's lone drop-off center for people experiencing severe intoxication from drugs and alcohol abruptly shuttered. The closure left a massive gap in how Oregon's largest city could respond to those in the throes of visible and often dangerous bouts of crisis. Just as drug use and overdose deaths began to soar in Portland and around the state, dozens of local leaders began immediately working on a plan to replace Portland's decades old sobering station. But after four years, the effort largely collapsed this fall. The fate of a new and desperately needed sobering center in Portland remains uncertain, even as other communities throughout the state successfully create their own. Joining me today is my colleague, Maxine Bernstein, who recently spent a big a bit of time digging into how the spectacular failure occurred. And Max, thanks so much for joining me today.
1: Glad to be here.
0: I think the easiest place for us to start is just to sort of set the scene for now where we are uh, in this discussion and get a better sense of the stakes here. Like, What does the lack of a sobering center in Portland actually mean, and why does this matter so much?
1: Sure. Um, Well, the city for decades, for at least three decades from 1971 through 2019, had a safe place, what was called Central City Concern Sobering Station. It was a location where police, firefighters, paramedics, first responders, could take someone and drop someone off who was intoxicated on the street and caught a potential danger to themselves or others and let them sober up, dry out. It was uh, an alternative to jail or hospital emergency departments. Uh, There were also roving vans. It was called the Cheers Van that this uh, nonprofit helped run uh, that would roam around the city and pick people up and get them to a safe place for a few hours um, where they can um, come down from their intoxication and uh, be safe. And that went away at the end of 2019.
0: And we'll we'll get into the reasons for why the sobering station suddenly closed in 2019. But since then, In the last four years, in the absence of having a a dedicated drop-off center for for people who are highly intoxicated from whether it's alcohol or methamphetamine or heroin or now fentanyl, where are people in those states going, if anywhere?
1: They're generally either staying on the street or ending up at hospital emergency departments and might uh, wait there for hours and be seen and then immediately released back into the street. Uh, Sometimes they're taken to uh, Unity Center for Behavioral Health, which is the city's, uh, it's really a psychiatric emergency department, Um, but they, police were finding Unity Center wasn't really set up to deal with people who were also... Um, high on meth and might be aggressive. And uh, they those people would be taken there and also would be quickly released and end up back on the streets. Uh, and sometimes uh, these people would end up in jail. And,
0: and so while we've had the cl- closure of a dedicated sobering center in Portland, I think most of our listeners Know or have observed and experienced firsthand that there has been also just an explosion in open drug use in Portland, and you know, what appears to be individuals for whatever reason uh, having severe addiction or behavioral health crises in public places. So, the closure of the sobering station kind of coincides and dovetails with this very dramatic increase in, for lack of better word, visible intoxication. Is that correct?
1: Well, when the center, the sobering station closed in the end of 2019, the big problem uh, were people who were intoxicated on, um, on from alcohol, but also um, co-occurring meth, uh, addictions and also mental illness. Um, and since then, uh, you know, fentanyl has become, uh, has fueled enormous, uh, epidemic of drug overdoses in the city and state. Uh, so that's also complicated the, the matter
0: and as you reported in your piece and for our listeners we'll have a link to max's phenomenal story in our show notes and i encourage everybody to read it re- read it as well but uh, in your reporting you y- you show that leaders in the city, whether it's government or healthcare or addiction service folks immediately recognize the need to replace the sobering station that closed in 2019. So a group of people quickly came together to start thinking about and planning for the next iteration of what a detox center in Portland might look like. Uh, tell us a little bit more about what this, who this group of stakeholders were and what did they set out to do exactly?
1: Sure. So there was a, uh, I spoke with a woman, Laura Cohen. She was at the time a supervisor at Cascadia Behavioral Healthcare. And a lot of people who were working uh, in her office were coming to her because they couldn't find a place to uh, place people uh, who who were in acute distress from intoxication or mental health um, matters. And uh, she was She also was talking to a county judge who runs Multnomah County's mental health court, who was also looking for alternatives of all the people who were coming into her court, who she was seeing, who were cycling in and out of hospital ERs and jails, but not getting the help they needed to stabilize. Um, so she realized uh, that the closure of Central City Concerned Sobering Station would provide an opportunity to, to look at really what the city could do to to build and provide a sort of a bigger, broader center that would uh, accommodate people with these co-occurring, you know, alcohol intoxication, uh, meth-induced psychosis, and provide a safe place for them while also offering. Police and firefighters uh, drop off a one-stop drop-off uh, center where they can quickly take people uh, to ensure uh, get them off the street so they are are safe and are not uh, are not a threat to others. So uh, they, Laura Cohen, actually reached out to the city of Portland because at the time. The city was funding Central City Concern Sobering Station, so with that closure, uh, she reached out to Mayor Ted Wheeler's office, and there seemed interest in trying to get a group, a broad group of people. It was, um, you know, healthcare executives, addiction service providers, police, hospitals, coordinated care organizations, peers who who had lived experience. And um, had gone through, you know, substance abuse treatment um, together to try to to envision an alternative. To um, and so, Mayor Wheeler brought in a retired. Portland deputy police chief Bob Day to lead the effort. Who's um, who's,
0: who's now the current police chief of Portland, correct?
1: R- right, he just be he was just appointed uh police chief. But at the time he was a retired deputy uh police chief and he worked he you know he worked as a staffer in Mayor Wheeler's office uh trying to get everyone together and uh you know this broad new group mapped out a vision for what would be a substantial upgrade from what previously existed and a place they they envisioned would be able to handle the um people you know who are profoundly disturbed agitated by fentanyl meth or alcohol use and mental illness and no longer would police and firefighters have to be on the street and try to figure out uh you know what someone's problem was should i take them to the er or unity center this they would take them to one front door, one focal point, uh, and there you'd have psychiatrists, peer support, doctors, nurses, and they would assess and triage people.
0: And so, so just a quick pause here. In in terms of the entity that would largely fund or operate something like this at the time, was it envisioned that the city of Portland? Would, would, would do this exactly? Because it sounds like you mentioned Ted Wheeler getting brought into this early on. And it's a small but significant distinction. We know that Multnomah County is primarily tasked with addressing behavioral health and substance use issues in the county, but also a drop-off center like this is something that uh, first responders, which is a city of Portland deal with firefighters and police officers would be using it to take people there. So kind of in terms of governments or uh, who would need to run this thing, how did that work?
1: Sure. Uh, So Laura Cohen, uh, who had originally gone to the mayor, also had uh, approached the county as well at that early time. And the county uh, provided, there were people from the county who attended these initial um brainstorming meetings but the county stood back was not gonna provide any funding uh even though the county is the local mental health authority for for the city and so, so why
0: so why weren't they gonna origi- initially fund this
1: there's a lot of um a lot of people I spoke to uh said it was their feeling that th- the then county chair, Deborah Kofori, that her focus was a different center and opening what is the Behavioral Health Resource Center in downtown Portland, which is sort of is a day center for people who are homeless to come in, take showers, uh, have a place to rest uh, for a few hours, but not for people who are intoxicated in acute crisis. But she was focused on working and working to fund that center. And there was this feeling that that was her focus and there was a bit of a competition. Uh, she didn't want to get involved in the, and felt you know, the city had funded the Central City Concerned Sobering Station It was their responsibility, but had county uh, representatives at the meeting.
0: And just one other question for you in terms of context and helping our listeners better understand. I think historically, when we talk about a detox center or a drop-off place for folks who are highly intoxicated and dealing with... uh, the effects of that. Often we have described these types of places as uh, drunk tanks, for lack of a better word. But just to be clear, uh, I I mean, the the, the type of center, drop-off center that you're talking about in terms of what this group of stakeholders were coming up with and envisioning was something far more um, expansive than just a place for people to essentially dry out, right?
1: Right. There would be um, initial intake and assessment of what their problems were. And they would likely be placed in a you know safe area for hours to, to sober up and to dry out. But yet after that, they would be connected to further services, um, whether it, the next step if they're um, interested is detox, which is Sobering is not a treatment program. It's usually you. It's a short-term, you know, four to twelve-hour period, uh, community-based program that monitors people during their intoxication. Um, Its goal is to reduce harm and help people return to a baseline. But after that, the idea is that if they're willing, they they would move on to detox, which is, uh, like medicated supportive withdrawal, complete withdrawal from alcohol or drugs, and also be provided, you know, a case manager, peer support, um, mentor to help them. And then, you know, the next step after that would be connections to supportive housing and recovery. Um, the whole idea was to have one door where police would take people or firefighters, and they could really assess, you know, what the problem was in the community and uh, what the need is.
0: So we have a group of leaders that come together from a broad range of professions and backgrounds. They agree and on a particular vision for what this type of drop-off sobering center should look like. They detailed this out over the course of a couple of years. So what the hell happened?
1: So Bob Day uh, realized that, you know, he, he, he realized uh, that, you know, he couldn't do this alone. And uh, he suggested someone with a healthcare background uh, our healthcare management background uh, take this further. And so the, one of the uh, groups, Care Oregon, brought in a consultant, Aaron Loans, was Loans Consulting Company. And he basically facilitated this, it was called what became the Behavioral Health Emergency Coordination Network, um, shorthand for BEACON. And they, they, you know, they saw this as the focal point, the bright light, the one spot where um, first responders could take people and, uh, and provide help. Um, so he, he coordinated and this was during the pandemic. This is during 2020. Uh, so there were at least 80 groups involved. They were holding meetings via Zoom. Wait, did there you was- just say,
0: did you just say 80, like eight zero?
1: Yes, eighty okay. groups, two hundred so people, and there were multiple subcommittees. Uh, they were looking at, you know, what's the best way to transport people. There used to be this Cheers van, but what's the best way to transport people? Um, what's the uh, best way to fund this? How should how should it be set up? Um, what type of security should there be? There was a whole uh, directory put together of people with lived experience. And they've had their own committees and they met with judges and the police and they shared uh, what they thought was needed. Um, so he was compiling all this information um, throughout 2020. And then there was uh, measure 110 uh, they saw that as a potential funding source for this uh, idea they had, and they uh, presented a proposal for uh, funding f- from Measure 110. Um, and there was a subcommittee of community members that decided, you know, that looked and reviewed the proposals. And, th- th- um, This
0: is a Measure One Hundred and Ten subcommittee.
1: Yes, uh, okay. and this Beacon Network for pr- pr- sought million dollars of funding from Measure One Hundred and Ten money, and presented a proposal. And they listened, you know, on Zoom, and they couldn't they couldn't answer questions. They didn't have a chance to uh, explain their vision for this center. Uh, so there were like four community members who were looking through Multnomah County proposals, and uh, you know, one of the Beacon veteran members was listening to this and heard a community member, oh, you know, recommend uh, against funding this the uh, the network because oh, it's just a drunk tank, and it was anything but. Drunk Tech. They were, I mean, the whole idea was that it would be a bigger, broader uh, sobering center, but they couldn't put provide input. There was no chance to to um, take input from those who had submitted the proposal, and then beyond that, uh, so that was not funded. But during the whole consideration for Measure One Ten funding, many members of the network were surprised to hear that two hospitals had submitted their own proposals for uh, funding measure 110 funding to support sobering beds within their emergency departments. And uh, the members of this network were uh, told me that you know they were surprised because the whole idea that uh, they had was to divert people from these overrun, emergency departments. Um, well, I,
0: I mean, I remember very clearly, even pre-pandemic in 2019, that hospitals were basically saying that they were completely incapable of adequately dealing with individuals who are coming through the ER uh, experiencing like m- most commonly meth-induced psychosis, I mean, it was the it was the ERs and hospitals at that time that were essentially saying we can't take this on, and this is why they were supporting <laughs> and getting behind uh, the, the the separate sort of one stop shop drop off sobering center, and that was one of the things that really surprised me in your reporting was if that was sort of the narrative that had emerged even before the pandemic with regard to the hospitals and their capacity for dealing with these types of folks, to then have them come in and essentially seek state funding dollars to start providing sobering beds for them, that was puzzling. I mean, do you have more insight into that?
1: Yes. Uh, So, you know, representatives and executives from the hospitals were a part of the the governance and ex- executive committees of this network that have been meeting. So they were familiar with this whole idea. They were involved, many were involved from the start, but, um, from their perspective, they sensed that there was so much talk and, uh, th- such a large network of people and they were concerned that you know the county which is the 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 responsible authority for providing mental health um, services and the main funder of those services was not necessarily at the table they were concerned that there was a lot of talk and that this vision would not get um would not materialize. So they felt that at least we'll try to get funding for some sobering uh services in our hospitals that are already, you know, up and, and um running. So that was their thoughts. Uh so there's they put in in the and one of the hospitals, uh Portland Providence, uh received funding from Measure 110. Um They have, I believe, nine beds. The other Unity Center will have eight beds. None of those beds are available yet because each of the hospitals are renovating spaces in the emergency department to provide more of a a specialized area for sobering. Um, Chris Bonoff, who's executive director of NAMI Oregon, um, National Alliance um, for Mental Illness, you know, he told me that in a sense, he also, he started participating in the network and he stepped back after a while. He thought it just became too grand and, and possibly too hard to financially support. And he's, even though it wasn't the vision, he said, you know, at least this pushed the hospitals to, um, to revamp part of their emergency departments so they could better cater to people with sobering needs so so would you
0: say that s- some of the struggle with this group the beacon network is just a symptom of too many cooks in the kitchen i mean you talk about 80 groups 200 people a real grand uh, you know an ambitious idea that presumably costs would cost a lot of money to get up and running But were there just too many people involved in this? Was that a sense that you got from your reporting? I mean, it it does, from what I took away, that doesn't seem to be a huge factor. A lot of it was who was going to put up the money to help get this thing off the ground. And what we're hearing from you is, you know, the state through Measure 110 funding turned down this proposal. Earlier, you mentioned that the county from the get-go, despite being sort of the Uh, you know, behavioral health authority uh, was not interested at the beginning of putting money toward this. And so is it a funding thing? Is it just a, a, just bureaucracy run amok and just grinding things to a halt or a combination of both?
1: I think it was a combination of factors. I mean, the idea was to get what they called a braiding of funding sof- uh, sources. Uh, they were thinking, you know, measure one, uh, measure 110 funding, funding from opioid settlements, uh, funding from the city, county, and the uh, healthcare organizations. But I think there was two. This became such a political hot potato, which it shouldn't have. Uh, there was um, some, um, a lot of people thought that this, there was a schism between the county chair, then Deborah Gafoury, and the mayor, Ted Wheeler, uh, that also contributed to the lack of any momentum. Uh, there was competition for funding um, with Kaforis then uh, sort of pet project, the Behavioral Health Resource Center, which was the homeless drop-off center downtown. Um, there was a miss There was like a-, a rift between the needs of public safety responders, who really uh, wanted a quick place to drop people off instead of you know waiting for hours at a hospital. Or, and trying to figure out on the street what someone was ailments really are, whether it's mental health or drugs, or where do they belong, um, versus uh, behavioral health and healthcare. Um, there, there was also some feeling that well, the public safety responders didn't understand the the complexity of the funding and regulations for such a center. Um, and what was really glaring was the lack of a single, single strong champion who could take the lead and see this through. I mean,
0: what else surprised you during your reporting as you were trying to get to the bottom of why this thing failed to materialize? So,
1: you know, I usually cover police and uh, i usually deal with a lot of reluctant sor- uh, reluctant sources who you know are concerned about speaking um and i didn't expect that in reporting on a sobering center uh, a public service need uh for people struggling with addiction and mental health so i was struck by how political this is uh, i was struck by the rancor that developed between city versus county uh, leaders. I was struck by the rancor that, you know, how things fell apart because of personality clashes um, and how sort of this vision of what's desperately needed in this city um, sort of took second fiddle. Um, and, And so that was, disturbing um and you know a lot of people were initially reluctant to talk because they worried about if what they said could hurt their agency's future funding chances from the county um so i, I was the the whole political hot potato of of this i i was surprised by maybe i shouldn't have been but but the, um yeah that that was disappointing
0: And then one of the things that you pointed out in this piece is while this so-called political hot potato is getting tossed around in Portland and this, I I think folks would agree that this type of center or a uh, series of services for people who are experiencing uh, acute intoxication and, you know, and other issues uh, while this is desperately needed here, in Portland, other, you pointed out in your reporting that other communities around the state uh, are opening similar type centers. They're not dealing with the same issues. They're being successful. They've got a timeline. They've got a start date. They've got the funding. And one thing that really kind of blew my mind was that Washington County is opening a very similar sobering center and they actually got Measure 110 funding from the state to do it. (laughs) uh, Which just kind of baffles me, but I don't know if you have any thoughts to add on that or the fact that these needed services are able to be realized and built in other parts of the state and yet here in Portland, we can't seem to do it
1: yeah, it was a stark difference in Washington County. and that's largely because one government agency, it's Washington County's Department of Health and Human Services ran with a ran came up with the idea, ran with it and saw it through. Um, they said, you know the the project managers told me, you know we own the project from day one. Uh, they put together a program development work group, hired a consultant. I mean, it sounds so similar. Drafted a feasibility study, but they got the buy in pretty quickly from the county commissioners. Well, and, and then and
0: I, I guess an, uh, it sounds similar, but I think what I'm hearing from you too is that they had a champion from the get go, which is something that you observed was not present in the Portland.
1: Right, they had a champion, one government agency that led this effort, and they got the provider, um, it's uh, CODA, it's one of Oregon's largest not-for-profit substance abuse treatment providers, to uh, be involved from the get-go, and uh, they're going to be running a lot of the intensive services when it opens in 2025. Um, So... They provided input on you know what type of building and, and uh, the funding mechanisms. Um, they also used opioid settlement uh, dollars as well. Um, and I asked Coda, I mean the the head of Coda, did she consider the Portland effort? Um, and she she you know she said she didn't feel as comfortable. There were too many different, too many conflicting or too many, I don't know. I uh,
0: mean competing interests? Too many, too many, people, many people
1: involved, per, perhaps competing interests. Um, what did she say? I'm just looking for it. There are many more invested parties, she said. There are many more political interests in Multnomah County. And the timing and the approach, she said, did not really fit with how they wanted to approach this type of expansion. And
0: I know we're running a little short on time here and probably need to wrap this up. So I just wanted to touch on uh, finally what the status is with this project. Well, what's happening now and why are things moving in the direction they're they're, they're currently heading?
1: So there's a new county chair, Jessica Vega-Peterson, and recently the county board provided funding to support a 20 bed, what's called a stabilization center. And that's a place where people would voluntarily show up and spend 30 to 90 days. And this is, this is like down the line after someone's already been discharged from drug withdrawal treatment or other acute treatment. Um, beyond that, Unity Center for Behavioral Health And, uh, Portland, Providence hospitals are providing a total of 17 sobering beds in their facilities. Um, Unity said it was expected. They expected to open their beds by the end of this year, but they didn't have a date. Um, and, uh, Portland, Providence, um, is expected, uh, by April or March, um, and then, separately, at the urging of Commissioner Julia Brim Edwards. That's the, a M-
0: Multnomah County Commissioner, right?
1: Yes, Multnomah County Commissioner Julia Brim Edwards. The county chair uh, agreed to a lot like $150,000 in funds to allow the commissioner to come back and propose a plan for a strict sobering center uh, to come back by March of next year. With a plan to budget to propose money for the next fiscal year 2024 2025.
0: So that means that the county is now discussing, or the new county chair is open to the idea of the county funding uh, a sobering center at this point. But she's also tasking, uh, is also tasking Commissioner Brim Edwards with coming up with a different plan altogether, or do you think it's going to have elements from the initial beacon proposal?
1: Well, hopefully, I mean, Sharon Mirin, also a county commissioner who was involved in the whole beacon network uh, from the get-go is working with Julia Brim Edwards and, she, you know, she envisions um, sort of a 50 bed strict sobering center that could you know grow into more later on, but for now they are working to come up with an idea or draft a proposal for more of a stricter sobering center that might not deal with uh, people in acute mental health crisis. Even though others are questioning, well, how can you how can you separate out the two? Um, because often people are suffering from the co-occurring problems of intoxication and mental illness. Um, So they're seeking out uh, ideas from others. Um, And recently the county board had a a meeting in November and brought in a panel of uh, Gresham and Portland police to provide their ideas on what's needed, even though, you know, they weren't, police were involved for more than a year in trying to um, get a center up.
0: So do you get the sense, uh, are we back to square one with planning and envisioning a sobering center after four years? Is that your sense? Or can a lot of the work and the people that were behind this initial effort help shape and inform this next iteration or yeah what's what are your thoughts on that
1: well i think there's a lot of people i mean now bob day is police chief and i think you know there's still sharon mirins at the county uh chair uh county board table Um, there's a lot of people still who, who were involved in the initial beacon who could be tapped to, um, help provide their ideas and their knowledge. Um, at the recent county hearing, it, it's, it felt like they were starting at square one, which was, uh, which is remarkable, um, you know, asking, making sure one county commissioner asking if you know, anyone with lived experience was consulted. Uh, There was a whole directory of dozens of people with lived experience that met for for hours. So I'm hoping that uh, the county recognizes that they can tap into all this work that had been done um, to propose this, this future sobering center.
0: Max Bernstein, thanks again for your time today and for talking more about this article.
1: Thank you. Appreciate it.
0: Thanks so much for listening to Beat Check with the Oregonian. If you like this show, give us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps people find the show and tell a friend. Help spread the word. The best way to support our journalism and stories like this one is with a subscription to the Oregonian Oregon Live. You can do that at OregonLive.com slash pod support. Until next time.